You are listening to The Last Aid Station on Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome to The Last Aid Station podcast. This is Mark. Thank you very much for joining me. Today's guest is someone that um, I've been trying to get on for a couple years now. He travels a ton, doesn't live and surround himself with a whole bunch of technology, lives kind of remote, all kinds of myths and legends about him living up in a little dirt floor cabin. But the main reason is is that he does a ton of travel. He's a very well-respected racer, arguably the best American cross-country racer around right now. I'm speaking about Howard Grotz. Now, Howard was the representative of the USA at last year's Olympics, and he was one heck of a representative, racing World Cup, often in the top 25 to 30%, um, but also racing short track, doing very well domestically um, at short track, XC, and then marathon. He has a number of national championships, well above 10, 12 and we get kind of get into that and how that all started. Um, he's been around the scene for a while, and we kind of talk about how everything has evolved in mountain biking racing in the United States, and maybe even some of his ideas of how we need to get back to the point where we have a lot of athletes. Um, he is definitely the best in the United States right now across many of those distances, um, though as he brings up, there's quite a few up-and-comers um, that may give him some challenges in the future years as we approach uh, the 2020 Olympics. So have a listen to this interview I did with Howard a couple of days ago. Very cool guy, very humble, very soft-spoken, um, but very interesting uh, perspective on life and racing and training um, that you may be surprised um, with his approaches. All right. Howard Grotz, Mr. National Champion. And I I'm not going to use that term lightly with you because, well, how many are you up to now? Uh, I'm guessing uh, 13, 15? Three, three cross-country titles uh, and two short track uh, yeah. for elite. Right, for elite. And then you also, how many you've got? Uh, actually, no no marathon. No marathon yet. Uh, okay. titles. That's, that's the one I'm, I'm missing. So it'd be, it'd be sweet to make that happen next year in Arkansas. I also like, as I got prepared to this interview, because I like to bring up questions that, I don't know, like other people haven't asked you or maybe in different ways, man, there is so much myth and fable and legend, if you want, um, about Howard Grotz out there, because there's all kinds of stories of you living up in the mountains in a cabin or a cave or something, um, chopping cords of firewood in thigh deep snow to, you know, stay warm. You're hiking and running to the top of every peak between Durango and the Tetons just for fun. Um, so I'm glad you're on because we're going to get to the bottom of all that. Cause I really want um, our listeners to uh, really understand like how you do what you do, because what you do is very impressive. Um, so oh. listeners, I've got Howard Grotz here, um, the current U S national XC mountain bike champion. And um, we're going to dig into everything that is, Mr. Grotz, um, finding out how he ticks, how he operates. Um, highlights just this year include World Cup places in the top 25, uh, give or take, um, as yes, high yeah, as 13th, uh, yeah, 13th, um, at Andorra, um, won the Leadville 100. And what's impressive most about winning Leadville 100 this year is that was your first shot at it. Um, not something yeah. that a lot of people do, um, because there's, it's a weird race. You really 
if you go back to see where you started, I mean, you can go back all the way uh, nearly 10 years to when you started winning um, national championships when you were in the 15, 16 junior age groups, um, moving all the way yep. through the collegiate ranks and then all the way through. So how did, how did you get started mountain biking? Like how, where did it all, where does that come from? Um, I mean, I, I, I'd always like done the, the local races uh, probably starting when I was seven years old, but then uh, I'd really say I, I uh, started to take it a little more seriously with Durango Devo when I was in high school. So I was like, yeah, 10 years ago. Um, and just went my freshman year of high school. Uh, Chat Genie invited me onto this kind of new uh, junior team. It was only in its second year then. And uh, yeah, we just traveled around to the, the local Mountain States Cup series in Colorado. And then we got to go to some national championships because they were close by up in Granby. And yeah, I just kind of you know, kept progressing from there. How how have you made that progression? I mean, have you had a coach throughout most of it or direction? Because, um, and we'll get into this a little bit, but your, your training isn't what you would call like really segmented or really specific. You kind of, um, you like to do what you like to do. And, um, but I mean, how did you get to that point of coming up with something that worked? Um, I mean, with, with Devo, it's, it's hugely an emphasis on just having fun. Right. Uh, they, it's, it's not really a, a serious, like results focused development team. Um, there for sure are kids that, you know, are motivated to perform well, but, uh, on the whole, it's, it's really just about having fun and, um, you know, the community aspect of cycling. Um, and so, yeah, I never had a coach on Devo. And then when I got onto the Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory Devo Suite Elite team, I kind of had a coach. It was a little more structured. And then for the last five years, uh, I've been with Ben Allett. Um, and so that's been more structured coaching and mainly helpful for just, you know, telling me when to go hard and when to rest. Um, you know, as an athlete, I think a lot of people just think they need to go hard all the time. And really it's more about having someone to tell you to back it off every once in a while. Right. You speaking of racing, cause you, you actually get a chance to go over and do some world cup racing. Um, yeah. And you've had some good results over the years at the international level, especially like the under 23. I mean, you, you kind of burst onto the scene there. All of a sudden you're a, you know, the under 23s, the, you know, the baby pros, so to speak. Um, yeah. and, and you're, and you go to the world championships and you, um, get third. And then a year later to prove it wasn't like kind of a flash in the pan, you do the world cup and you end up third, you know, over a whole series. Um, yeah. What is it? Besides the prime spots in the corral and the starting slot that you get, which is all based on UCI and World Cup points, what does it take for someone to move from like where you're at, which is impressive, top fifteen, to like top ten, top five? I and mean, what what is the difference in the training or the difference in the um, the focus? Um, I mean, yeah, I think I think for sure UCI points uh, play a pretty big role because. You know, the competition is so tight once you jump into the elite ranks that, um, you know, that, that start loop becomes even more critical. 
and there are guys for sure who can pull off a good start even from fifth or sixth row. Uh, but uh, for me, I think I would need to, you know, actually get the points to be be up in the top two or three rows um, to, to really make that start loop um, uh, like kind of worth it rather than just sitting in and then having to gain a bunch of positions later. Right. Um, but then also just living and training in Europe uh, would be a pretty good thing to do just because the level of competition in cross-country racing is so much higher over there. And, you know, like their national series races uh, have all the top World Cup guys. And so you get to do those training races that actually prepare you for what a World Cup is like rather than here in the U.S. We, you know, have a handful of guys um, that are really fast at the front end, but the courses aren't quite as technical and you don't have the kind of the same demands in a, a training race as you would over in Europe. I, I would bet that you've kind of even looked at it or analyzed it. There seems to be like a big disadvantage for in the U S um, especially for your Olympic distance mountain bike racing um, where everything is depends on that start, but we, you guys don't have the opportunity to, to gain a lot of UCI points that would help maybe minimize that start. You know, maybe your, so your first world cup race, you go over there with a lot of UCI points, unlike um, cyclocross, for example, where guys can build up a bunch of UCI points and go over there and have a decent start. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, is there ever, has there ever been, you know, talk of that kind of changing around or is it just simply because the U S hasn't had a consistent, um, series that, that would afford that? Yeah. I mean, for the last few years, we've had some HC races and that's, that's helpful, but, um, like those top guys, they have, you know, a thousand or, or more UCI points and it's, it's really hard to, to find that many, um, just here in the U S. So uh, it, it's just a matter of, of getting to some of those, like, HD stage race. Right. Um, yeah, the early season Cape Epics and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, and there's some, some good ones in, like, Greece and, uh, like, the, the Cypress Cup, I know, is a, a pretty popular uh, early season race series that people go to to kind of build that buffer before the World Cup starts. Yeah. Um, but. I have also heard that they're going to kind of restructure the World Cup and uh, include short track, which um, would help decide the, I think, first five rows. They would do a short track to kind of seed everyone, um, the top 40 riders. And so that has the potential to um, kind of change who's, you know, fighting for the the top 10 positions or whatever in the world cup. Mm. Um, and that'll be interesting to see how that plays out next year. Despite all the success and you being um, arguably the top XC distance rider in the country currently, you hold a ranking like, yeah, I don't know, 70th or something in the UCI and 50, I think 50th in the world cup. Um, which makes those starts just ridiculous. I mean, sitting that far back um, and all, everybody going for, you know, the bottleneck in the first corner. Um, yeah. What was that like the first time you did that? 
I mean, were you completely shocked at, you know, when you moved up from the U23 to the, um, to the elites? Um, not, not really. I think, uh, I, I mean, for sure when I was a U23, it was nice being able to start, um, in the front. But even when I was just beginning in the U23 field, it, it's easier to move up just because the, the depth of the field isn't quite the same as, um, the elites. Right. Uh, it's still, it still kind of prepares you for, for what it's like to make that jump. Um, so I think my first elite world cup would have been either, well, I guess it was in Australia and that, that was just I don't know, not an ideal course for me, but then, um, over in Europe for Albstadt and, uh, Labres, um, I was pretty happy with those two. They were like, I don't know, 30th and 18th or something around there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of, you know, treating it like any other race and, uh, you know, you just have to pass more people and, and deal with a hectic beginning of the race. Yeah. Let's talk about how you just talked about like, you know, training for those kind of races. Yeah, you have you have a little bit of a reputation of a bit of a rebel's mindset, or at least a less than uh, set approach to your training. Yeah, a little unconventional. So you've been known to ride from feel a lot and be spontaneous in your day to day training, especially in the off season. Um, you also yeah. seem to also come up with really cool ways of not having that regimented workout every day, like. Um, big hikes and climbs in the mountains one year, um, putting together, I think one year, I think you put together a big like tour of the, the Western States, um, just like a big ride. So first question is, is that, is that something that's always worked for you? Um, do you need that break? Um, cause you really have a really long season if you consider Cape Epic one of the first and what do you have planned this year? Um, yeah, I I think, you know, as, uh, I've progressed in the sport. My like during the season training has actually become a little more structured than it used to be. Um, I still definitely make, make some room for, you know, uh, uh, allowing uh, myself to do a different workout. If, you know, it just doesn't quite feel like um, what I need to do is what's on the schedule. Yeah. But um, like I've started incorporating uh, power meters and, all that, which it actually kind of, for me, uh, takes some of the, the mental stress out of it because all you have to do is just hit a number and um, yeah, yeah, it's a little easier than like just mentally having to push yourself to a certain level, um, which is always what I used to do. Um, and then in the off season, I, it's super important for me just to kind of do whatever uh, feels right, feels fun. and. Um, you know, a lot of people just like to drop their bike completely, but uh, I kind of just, you know, like getting out there and uh, yeah, just just doing whatever feels right. And so, at this time of year, it's a lot of like short sprint type efforts, just uh, for the fun of it, and maybe less of the, the threshold grinding efforts that you have to do in the, the normal season. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some new bike packing gear from Specialized, so I definitely need to get out and uh, do a bike packing trip. I was talking with a couple friends about going up to one of the high school Nike League races here in Colorado, uh, which 
you know, it's super fun to see all the young kids and uh, turn that into kind of an adventure and ride a, a few hundred miles up and then get to help them out for the weekend and then ride back down to Durango. I think, I think that sounds like a good adventure. That's cool. Um, yeah. I hope, hopefully the weather's good because kind of, kind of do enjoy the, the fair weather when I'm out doing that kind of trip. Yeah. Any thoughts of adding a fat bike national championship to the, uh, to the list? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't really think so. I don't, I mean, yeah, that's, I'd rather be down in Arizona or Texas or something <laughs> in the sun, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, usually October in, in Colorado is, you know, it's cooler, but not too rainy and, um, there's no snow yet. Yeah. We've seen you compete at distances from short track to marathon and even, you know, a little bit longer than marathon. Um, how do you train for such varied distances and have that success? Or do you just kind of train for something in the middle and then let the cards fall where they may for the others? Yeah, I, I, well, I think, I think everyone has to be a pretty well rounded rider nowadays for, uh, mountain biking and cross country mountain biking, just because, you know, there are all those varied races and they're all important to sponsors. So I think we're all pretty much in the same boat. It's not, not quite like some of those top European teams where they are solely focused on the cross country distance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Here, here in the U S uh, kind of have to be able to do a little bit of everything. Cause we have the Epic ride series and you have to have that like three to four hour, um, race distance dialed and then uh, pretty much every cross country weekend also has a short track and um, most people participate in those uh, you know it's a good workout and I don't I, I think short track is just one of the, the funner races because it's just full pass for 25 minutes or whatever and right uh, yeah so I, I mean it's all it's all fun I actually kind of prefer the shorter distance but uh I think one of my strengths is the, the longer three plus hour uh, races, and so uh, I don't know. It all I think it all kind of complements each other. Maybe you're not going to be absolutely on point for um, one race type versus another, but uh, I, I think it's good to be a well-rounded rider. Right, um, and a lot of that has to do with. Um, especially the um, the community or the the status of mountain bike racing in the United States. Um, you know, those sponsors yeah. are pretty much dedicated to XC. Um, you know, especially your bigger factory teams like uh, like Specialized that you're on. Um, mm-hmm. But there seems to be a little bit of a move to marathon. I mean, there are some dedicated teams that just do that marathon or just do that kind of like international stage racing, like uh, Topi Gargan, for example. But if you could choose one and you had a sponsor to back you, would do you like any of those distances better than the others, or um, you kind of like that doing a little bit of everything? Um, I I think it's fun to do do a bit of everything. You know, it keeps it it fresh and um, you know it varies your training because uh, you know if you were just doing one race discipline, then your training would become 
pretty stale. It would just be the same thing over and over. But, um, yeah, switching it up is nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think, I think kind of for like amateur level racing, people like to do the, the marathon distance because, um, you know, not too many people are going to go out and just for fun ride seven loops on a short little course. They're going to want to go out and do a, a big ride that, you know, has some good views and, um, is, you know, a big loop and right. uh, finish it up with a beer. And that's what Epic Rides is all about. Right. Um, so it's I think it's, all, I think it's I also think, different in the United States because, you know, mountain bike racing is, um, in the U S is very much a participatory sport. Um, it's really yeah. not, it's not a huge spectator sport. Unfortunately, yeah, exactly. I mean, unfortunately, you know, unless a world cup comes, yeah. there aren't people paying for tickets to go watch a mountain bike race, but you know, the, the marathon distance and the, even like the hundred milers that are out there, um, you get to race on the same course at the same time as the pros. And so you get to yeah. compare yourself and it's, it's, but it's a different, it's a different way of looking at the sport, you know? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, just the success of epic rides and what Todd, uh, set out has done with that series. Yes. You know, it shows that it's, it's viable and, um, absolutely. That, you know, they can continue to provide those big prize purses and expand the series. And, um, so I think that that's nothing but good for, uh, mountain biking. Right. And it's a great yeah. package. You know, the whole weekend he takes over, you know, takes over whatever town that is. And he's, you know, originally kind of started in the, the Western states or Southwest and kind of has expanded, um, you know, now moving east and, you know, rumors of it moving even further east and um eventually yeah. to become like the definitely the marathon distance racing and and because it's the whole weekend you get that participatory thing but you also get the spectator part of it you know and yeah. and as you said the big prize purses certainly help um, oh yeah so. yeah <laughs> um you're a very compact racer <laughs> that's the best way to put it yeah. um what, I think you're five eight, five some five seven, some five eight, oh, something like that. Oh, yeah, five, five seven would be a, a little generous. But, um, <laughs> and you're you're probably uh, a buck and a quarter. I don't know. Um, yeah, so, yeah, like 130 pounds. Yeah, um, and you have a reputation as a climber, as you would be with that kind of weight, yeah. um, and big accelerations and things like that. So we've talked a little bit about your training and being a climber, you have that high power to weight ratio. Um, the same thing for accelerations. Let's talk about your weight. Do you subscribe to a particular diet or nutritional regimen, be that, you know, paleo or something else or, um, and does that change throughout the season? Um, no, I, I definitely don't have like any specific diet. Uh, I mean, just in general kind of, you know, eat, eat the right amount of, you know, everything you don't, I don't, I don't like to be restrictive. Um, but you know, I, you know, eat vegetables, get whatever starch you need and like some kind of meat or protein. Um, well-rounded I think is always, uh, the best option, um, rather than leaning too far in one direction or the other. Um, and you know, I for sure will eat, you know, sweet food or, or whatever. It, that's not like off limits, but it's not my go-to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I definitely don't really pay attention. No, that's, yeah, that's, it's, that. it's always interesting to hear like, um, you know, talking to 
um, all the athletes that we've had on the show, like finding out, like some of them are very um, nearly religious on their diet regimen. Um, uh, yeah. But, but, you know, others are not. Others are like, you know, uh, you know, the amount of training I do affords me to eat whatever I want. So I just try to eat healthy for whatever I want. So. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. U.S. Uh, mountain biking. Um, so. What are the big disadvantages? And we talked a little bit, kind of hit on them there at the beginning. But what are the big disadvantages of um, putting up a, a big team to represent the United States at um, or United States athletes at the World Cup level or at the international level? Obviously, we've got travel, um, but what's the yeah. what's the big difference? Like, where what do you find the hardest to adapt to in racing overseas? I mean, yeah, yeah, just the, the level of competition over there is quite a bit deeper than we have here in the U.S. And uh, you know, they they get to just drive practically from their houses to get to, to you know big competition races right. where you know the world champion and all the other top ten guys are there. Um, so yeah, it's kind of hard to. Um, just prepare for a world cup when you, uh, you know, it's a full day's travel basically to get over there and, and at least a couple um, days recovery, I would imagine. Yeah. And just, you know, the, the funding, maybe it's, it's a little harder to come by, um, because it's, it's so far away. Uh, yeah. people, you know, it, it would be on the racer to really get over there and live in Europe. Um, if they wanted to, yeah, you know, kind of train like the Europeans do. Um, do you think that's feasible? I, I, like to have? I mean, a lot of cyclocross guys do it, but their season's quite a bit shorter. Um, but yeah. a lot, you know, have gone over there and just lived there. I'm going to do yeah. this. I'm going to do this full season. Um, I don't. I can't recall any American doing that at least in a long time. Yeah, I know Stephen uh, Edinger had. Um, lived in Europe for one year when he was on BMC. Uh, quite a few people kind of, I don't know, cracked on the just living and training in Europe. Um, and I, I can't really speak for myself because I've never tried. Uh, just, I know, it's hard living away from home and being in a country where they don't all speak your language. And um, I, don't know, I, I think if you could do that with a you know a group of friends you could probably make it work but um you also need to have a, a team supporting you in that um and if they're more focused on you know like epic rides or uh nationals here it's kind of uh i don't know a hard choice to make um yeah yeah and you don't I, see I'm, I'm not sure and you don't see like uh, USA Cycling splurging for a leer to get you back and forth. So, <laughs> yeah, and that, I mean that might be kind of a catch twenty two because you know for USA Cycling to get more funding for mountain bikes, they need to have um, results or right. riders on a trajectory to uh, be meddling at World Championships and right. the Olympics, and so it's a vicious circle. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And until you get that rider, then they're not going to have the as much funding to support riders in you know getting to that level and um i think we do have some you know really promising juniors 
and U23 riders coming up, uh, like notably Chris Blevins. Um, he's, you know, just jumped into the pro field and uh, won races and uh, is just an incredibly talented rider. So uh, if he kind of moves more towards mountain biking than on the road, which, you know, he's kind of split between the two right now. Um, yeah, it'd be really cool to see what he can do. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, there's and, that, there's a, there's a big group. I mean, you've got, um, Luke, uh, everyone Velder, um, coming up yeah. too. I mean, there's, there's actually probably five or six you could probably name here that, you know, have the potential, um, and certainly show promise, um, to, to do that. But what do we as a country or as an organization for USA cycling need to do so that we have kind of like, not just that once in a generation athlete that does well, but like, you know, kind of like, you know, the Swiss or the, you know, the um, Italians where you've got, you know, three or four guys in the top 15. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's mainly just, you know, these riders have support when they're on development teams, but then it seems like, you know, the, the level of support can kind of drop off after that. And, you know, maybe, you know, just, just investing a little more in these, young riders like I was super lucky that you know specialized picked me up right out of um the junior field uh and you know the my first couple of years the results weren't anything special by any means uh but just having a team that stuck by me allowed me to you know keep progressing and keep uh investing my time and becoming a better rider um you know and, and it's only now like you know four five six later years later that um uh, you know I, i've really kind of I, I think figured the game out a bit more and i know what i need to do to train for all these different events and yeah just not so many kids get that opportunity um so yeah i mean it, it just kind of comes down to funding and you know allowing these kids to uh I mean, they're not even kids anymore. You know, right. Is 19 or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, just the support. Um, the, yeah, there's also... In the sport. Right, that's that was what I was about to say. There's a huge culture thing with, you know, we, we have these guys come up through the ranks. And then, you know, when they see the, the sport or the salaries or what have you on the roadside, um, it's yeah. kind of become something that, um, I don't fault them for that because, you know, they want to continue to ride their bike and often, yeah, they rather ride their mountain bike, but the, you know, the ability to ride their bike year round, um, as a part of a cycling career, um, doesn't have the opportunities on the mountain bike side as there is on the road side. Um, yep, and I kind exactly. of, understand, yeah, um, you're one of the few that like, you know, I raise my mountain bike. That's what I'm going to do. You know, um, yep. it's interesting when I've interviewed, the pros from Europe, um, you know, like Christoph Salzer, for example, I mean, he, you, um, he's, I asked him if, you know, did, did he come up riding road bikes? And, and he says he never even owned a road bike until long after he turned pro. Like he, that's all he ever rode was mountain bikes. And it's just interesting. There's such a big difference here. Like in the United States, if you ride a mountain bike, you probably have a road bike too. Um, it's just a very yep. different, different way of looking at things. Um, so our show 
kind of is targeted on endurance mountain bike racing. And um, it would appear that marathon and endurance mountain bike racing is kind of passing through a period of becoming, um, as we mentioned, a legitimate distance for North American elites kind of to focus on. Now, it may not be something you can base your career on in the United States, but in the past, the National Ultra Endurance Series was a relatively cohesive series that really existed more as a participatory event, like we mentioned. Um, but now Epic Rides is really – it's a huge purse structure, um, equal pay, um, and they're moving towards a, a full-on North American expansion kind of thing. Um, you know, Todd is putting together an amazing series, and it's an amazing thing not for selling it to these towns that are putting these events on. Do you think that this yeah. will continue to grow like this? Um, or do you think it's always going to kind of have a backseat to that XEO or Olympic distance traditional cross country type of event? Um, yeah. I mean, probably as long as like the European racing scene remains focused on cross country, um, marathon will it'll always be a little bit of a kind of side discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, but the U.S. for sure is diverging from that, you know, just because, you know, that's that's what Todd is invested in. And, uh, you know, he wants it to be, like, not only the premier race series in the U.S., but in the world, um, which, you know, it's, you know, if, if anyone can do it, I'm, Todd would be the one to do it. So uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Um, but I mean, we're ta- if we're talking about preparing for World Cups, you know, it, ha- having the big races in the U.S. be marathon races uh, maybe isn't isn't ideal for creating uh, top level World Cup riders. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I, I think it's it's great preparation for those like stage races, like. Cape Epic and uh, that kind of thing. You just get a own your you know, three, four, five hour racing uh, legs and uh, you know, have fun while doing it. Um, yeah, I, I'm just curious to see where the whole thing goes. And you know, as long as Epic Rides is around, I'll I'll be participating in it. Yeah, um, it might take a little bit of a back. Uh, the closer the uh, Olympics comes up, just because then it's going to be focused more on uh, getting UCI points and uh, helping our nation ranking. Um, it'd be sweet if if Todd could get some UCI ranking for his races. I think all you need to make it a, like an HG stage race, besides investing in it and getting the UCI officials to. Um, be commissaries, you just need to add another stage. So if he threw in like a time trial for us uh, pros, then mm-hmm. um, we could be collecting some serious UCI points. And then, and, you know, you could kind of have the best of both worlds. You could uh, get a better ranking and still participate in that series. Yeah, because uh, um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate there that the series. I mean, it's just the it's just the way it is. I mean, we're. You know, World Cup's Northern Hemisphere, his series is Northern Hemisphere. So they kind of overlap with each other. You know, they kind of fall like in that, that middle of the World Cup season. So, yeah, yeah, like it, it always is going to conflict somewhat. Um, and this year I did 
you know, kind of chose the Epic Ride series over those first World Cups. And, um, you know, I, while it's, it's cool to race a World Cup and, you know, for me, you know, getting top 15 was pretty sweet. Um, it's also pretty cool to, to win a race or, you know, be on the podium for the Epic Rides and, uh, be making a bit of money and, um, help grow mountain biking here in the U.S. Yeah. Um, so who are the, who are your sponsors for 2017 that have really gotten you to where you are this year? Uh, I mean, pretty much hands down specialized, uh, uh, they're, they're my, the only sponsor that's giving me like monetary, uh, support, um, and getting me to these races. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I definitely owe them a whole lot. Um, these past like six years, I guess it'll be seven next year. Yeah. Yeah. They've been uh, super supportive and you've been with them, um, you know, six or seven years and, and they've kind of ridden, um, watched you grow and kind of, you know, um, supported you the entire time, but now actually you're reaping some benefits as you're, you know, moving up the ranks, which is, um, a great thing for both of you. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, uh, you hope that you can give back to your sponsors and, um, you know, uh, contribute, you know, something of value to them. Um, and, you know, on the, on the World Cup, you know, it, it is probably more significant to be on the podium than to be getting a top 15, but um, I think they still have allowed me to uh, kind of choose what I want to do. Um, and the next year it'll be about the same as this year, like a few World Cups or big uh, UCI coin races just to kind of maintain where I'm at or hopefully – uh, jump up a little bit, but then um, also focus on races that I can, you know, really perform well at, like uh, Epic Rides and um, the the stage races, like Cape Epic. Uh, that'll be another big goal. Yeah. So, what are your plans for 2018? Um, obviously, you're probably going to continue with Specialized, um, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll be heading down to South Africa in March. I think kind of have a, a training camp there and then um, probably do the World Cup. And that's the week before Cape Epic starts. Right. Yeah, they kind of moved that uh, up some. Yeah. Yeah. And so my my big goal down there will be Cape Epic. And uh, so my, my training definitely isn't going to be super like World Cup focused. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as I'm down there, I'll... I'll give it a shot. Um, yeah. It's going to certainly, with the timing of where that World Cup is, it's definitely going to make the Cape Epic, like it wasn't competitive enough, um, really competitive this year. Um, you've got a World Cup yeah. the week before. You've got Cape Epic and then another World Cup maybe two weeks after. Um, in the past, people have used kind of Cape Epic as a kind of a training block almost. But this year, it can actually yeah. be something that someone's targeting because that World Cup series starts – so much earlier. Um, yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see uh, how many of the cross country guys stick around. Um, and I'm actually, I think they came out with the, the Cape Epic route, but 
I haven't checked that out, which yeah. I don't know, might be a good thing to do. But if it is like this year was more focused on shorter kind of cross country like stages, then um, that would attract even more of the those guys and uh, make for a pretty exciting race. Yeah, I would imagine they would kind of have to if they're going to try to attract those guys that are, you know, already going to be in the neighborhood, so to speak. So. Yeah, yeah, it would, it would totally make sense for the Cape Epic. Um, and, you know, that's another race that has been incredibly successful and uh, it just seems like it grows every year and people keep coming back to uh, yeah, race for eight days in the Western Cape. Yeah. Well... Um, Howard, thank you very much for coming on the Last Aid Station podcast. It's um, it's finally nice to get you on here. Um, I know we touched base um, several times over the past probably six months over the season, but I'm yeah. um, finally glad to uh, to get you on. But um, I wish you well. Um, I'm sure my listeners uh, wish you well um, as you guys as you transition to the off season and start training for those big races in 2018. We'll be following you, I'm sure. So thank you very much. Um, yeah, thank you for having me on. So I think few would argue that Howard Gratz is the number one American cross-country racer around right now. Um, everything from short track, as we talked about, to you know the traditional stuff, especially in those Olympic years, um, as well as the stuff maybe slightly longer than that up into the marathon distances where he – really does very, very well um, marathon and maybe even a little bit longer than that um, up to the 100 milers, such as uh, we saw this year at Leadville. So thank you again for joining me here on Mountain Bike Radio. We're going to continue to follow Howard um, as he prepares for the 2018 season and into um, his preparation with a likely bid for the next Olympics um, in 2020. If you have any questions, feel free to drop me a line at mark at mountainbikeradio.com or um, get in touch with us on the Facebook page for the Last Aid Station podcast. Um, look forward to bringing you more people here in the very near future. Have some people lined up both from the industry side as well as from the racing side. And so we're going to be bringing you some very interesting interviews um, from people that maybe have some really, really cool stories to tell for sure. So take care and I hope to see you soon. 